Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi, we have got a great guest today because, as you know, a lot of people that we've dealt with over the last many years have had trauma. And there's been a big thing about post-traumatic stress syndrome, PTSD, as it's termed and whether people have it or not. And I know uh, you're in therapy practice, so you've seen a lot of it, right? Absolutely, yes. And I also think that sometimes people are quick to, diag- to give themselves that diagnosis when they don't have it. And that's why I am interested to talk to our guests today about how to differentiate between, do I have PTSD or do I just have some of the symptoms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is a great expert because he has a new book uh, that's going to be really groundbreaking about treatments to, te- to treat people with PTSD. So Heidi, would you like to introduce him? Sure. So our guest today is Daniel Abella. He graduated from Columbia University with a degree in biophysics and trained in somatic therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. He is the author of the book, The Theater of the Mind. And Daniel has developed treatments for PTSD, phobia, and trauma, and has helped thousands of veterans, first responders, and the public to recover from life distressing conditions. So welcome to our show, Daniel. Hi. Thank you, Heidi. Yes. And thank you, Gloria. Yeah, it's great to have you on. How did you get interested in this area? Well, it's kind of a long convoluted path. Uh, I, uh, when I graduated from Columbia University, I, I studied biophysics. And for a few years, I went ahead and I was uh, following the standard uh, career route, which was uh, laboratories, uh, working in Wall Street. But at some point, I, I had a lot of I had a lot of friends who had been to war with actually either the Gulf War or even Vietnam. And many of them came back with uh, PTSD. Now, uh, at that time, I was, uh, I, I, oh, my background in hope was always, always been to basically find the structure of how we, how the mind works, not just content, but the actual process. And uh, being, coming from a biophysics background, I found that there were no really good models for how the mind worked. Now, mind you, that was a, back in the late uh, 70s, early 80s. So we had, say, uh, Freudian analytic uh, analytic psychology by Jung. We had Freudian psychotherapy. We had maybe Gestalt, but there was no real formal model how the mind works. So after seeing so many of my friends' lives being destroyed, essentially, by this condition, I decided that it was important to really start focusing on learning and finding a model that would help the person in a brief amount of time. So uh, in the early 90s, I started uh, working with a variety of different modalities. One of them was uh, taught by Richard Bandler and John Grinder. Another one was uh, somatic therapy, and another one was cognitive uh, therapy. And I find each one of them had its uh, strengths. So combining all three modalities, I came across a system or a uh, process which has actually been already used in England on a limited basis, but it has very little exposure here in the US. 
And this process is, uh, I call it the VKD technique, visual kinesthetic association process, visual kinesthetic. Now this technique has been around for quite some time and I applied it. And when I applied the results were very, very effective. And yet I asked myself, how is it that other people are not aware of it or even using it? Um, and, uh, I figured part of it was the, that what was missing was a framework to understand how it worked because it worked like, it works almost like a charm uh, that quickly. And, uh, I started looking at other areas where we see the development of PTSD. PTSD is usually is the, is a, a hyper. A vigilant state. It's a hyperreactive state that comes from usually a single trauma or a series of traumas. The way usually PTSD is diagnosed is through the symptomology. For instance, uh, blackouts, trouble sleeping, uh, problems, uh, uh, substance abuse. Uh, it's a series of different specific symptoms. Usually, if someone, let's say, has trouble sleeping or maybe has an issue that may go away on its own, but if it lasts more than 30 days, okay. usually there is, uh, the, the, the person or the, the client should consider, uh, some sort of treatment or at least exploring the, the nature of this condition. PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Many of our audience members have been with or seeing family members die. And would that classify somebody to go in? Would, would that be the type of stress? It, it, it all might, if they find that they have recurring nightmares, if they have blackouts, if they have overwhelming sadness or depression, if they feel helpless, if they have these, oh, this complex series of symptoms would probably suggest, if not PTSD, uh, unresolved grief. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you, you mentioned that a lot of people have seen, including some relatives of mine, seeing their, their parents literally uh, die and they couldn't even say goodbye to them. So there's a lot of, also a lot of unresolved grief there that hasn't been properly allowed to um, take its course. Yeah, and, and, and I have seen that. We, I did, I've seen that because we attend a lot of grief conferences and interview a lot of people. And we hear of years and people have been in therapy and they're still having some of these problems. So you've got a new treatment. What would I do? What, tell us about your treatment. Okay. So, uh, the treatment for grief therapy, which is, is part of this program is essentially, uh, just like we explore the mechanisms of PTSD. We also explore people who have recovered from grief and are relatively healthy amount of time. Uh, versus the ones who are still grieving 20, 30, 40 years after the, uh, after the event. And what we found is that it boils down to specific, uh, cognitive and perceptual processes that a person does in a nutshell, uh, the way I would, when you think of a memory, let's say of, of happy times with someone, right? Uh, we would the person, if the person is in the memory, is experiencing fully in all its senses, mm -hmm. right? That's referred to as an associated state to the memory. If the person sees himself in a picture, that's and in a small black and white picture, is usually dissociated. So what we found, what I found in working with people with grief and PTSD, is that those who have 
are able to process the grieving process, which as we all know, goes through five steps, you know, are able to, at some, down the line, sort their memories. So the memories, the pleasant experiences a person had, when they remember the good times, they're fully associated to that. Whereas the sad moments, whether it be challenging moments with that other person, are usually remember in a dissociated state. That is, they still remember and recall the memory, but the memory is a little bit smaller and the person sees himself in the memory. Mm -hmm. So I have a, I'll give you a quick example of what I, I work with a Greek uh, widow. She had actually, uh, her husband had passed away more than 20 years mm -hmm. and he passed away on a Monday. And every Monday to sort of um, remember the passing, she would wear a shawl, a black one. And, uh, but after a while, as a result of this continuous grieving and mourning, her health started to decline. Her family members started wor worrying about her and it started to impact her, her son and her daughter. So it suggested I speak to her. At first she was very reluctant because she wanted to hold on to that memory. And I'd certainly respect that. I don't think this is about eliminating anything. It's about finding the right perspective within one's life. So I asked her to take five, 10 experiences of where they were really uh, very life affirming with her husband. And I asked her to step into those experiences and relive them as if they're happening right now. She did that. So I also asked her to take 10 experiences of, of trouble she had with her husband over, you know, over her life or challenges or sad moments, including the funeral. And I asked her to take those experiences and see herself, see herself in a, seeing herself in a picture as if a still and make it black and white. Mm -hmm. so, I, so the result was that, and then I, the result was to sort out those 10 experiences with a positive and 10 for the not so positive and allow her unconscious to keep sorting out those memories over time. And, uh, I asked her to remember her husband, those positive experiences, and continue to affirm her own life as an affirmation of those experiences she had. And she can still remember the sad experiences, but from far away. So and, the issue- And what happens in the brain when she does that? Well, essentially what it does, it, it allows us to sort out our own perspective on the relationship we had with that person. So uh, the best way to describe it, I wanna mention something, segue to something that we all have experienced. We've seen, many of us saw the movie Jaws, 1970, I think 77. And uh, many, as a result of watching Jaws, many people had phobias. Mm -hmm. And you ask yourself, how is it you can watch a movie and get a phobia? Uh, after 9-11, a lot of people watched the towers fall down. People that were thousands of miles away develop PTSD. So I asked myself, how is it cognitively and our mental process that we're able that, that essentially this can happen? Theoretically, PTSD could only happen as a single experience to the person. So what I found out is that there is a relationship between the, mind, the way our mind codes memory and the way it's presented in the media. So, uh, and that relationship can be very symbiotic and can reinforce a positive feedback of good images versus traumatic images. 
This is why a lot of people, I want, I basically advise people to be very careful about watching too much bad news. Not because we know, we all know that, but what they don't realize is this, this can be installed in their memory. So they can, re, well, it's almost like they're exposing themselves very powerful experiences. So uh, now going back to this woman and your question, essentially the way the memory works is that it allows us to sort out the differences and by differences that we can begin to resolve our grieving process. And now I say that this process only works to about 80%. The other 20% is let time. Time also heals, hmm. but sometimes time doesn't heal. That's why we come in and suggest this alternative. If someone just, if their, if their mother or their father or something happened to them, they come a month or two ago, they're still in the grieving process. So I will not recommend any of these techniques, but if they come well, to Daniel, me here, Daniel, what we're seeing, what we see a lot is people that have had, you know, family members die and whenever they think about it, they're almost re-traumatized. They feel as if it's happening all over again. Exactly. And the emotions feel that powerful. So it sounds like what you're doing is creating a situation where they can still remember, but not have those powerful emotions. Exactly, because when you, okay. when, that's exactly, when you see yourself in a picture, mm -hmm. right? Versus being in the picture, the emotions are different. Think about, for example, a piece of, of, of food you like to eat right now, something that's really delicious, right? Something, think about it, you're eating it, you're actually eating it this very moment. And take that and compare it to say, think of it where you see yourself eating that food. The emotional uh, intensity is different. So yeah. the, the process works very similar with grief and also with PTSD. In the case of PTSD, we, we remove the person from the experience uh, through two points of observation. Instead of seeing themselves, they see themselves watch a movie of the experience. And, like uh, and the, the result is a double dissociation where the person, it's almost like a different part of the brain is able to process the experience while another part watches the experience. I like this. I like this, Daniel. My son was in Afghanistan for a year in 2019. And he definitely came back with a lot of hypervigilance. And I like the idea of, okay, so you would tell people to look at themselves as if they were in a movie when they reflect back on these traumatic events. Exactly. In fact, the, uh, like it's almost this. like, exactly. They're almost like they're projectionist and they're watching yeah. themselves in the theater, watch a movie of what's happening. So I like that. The, the projection. So this, I work with a, uh, a young woman who survived, was, uh, grew up during the Sarajevo bombing. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she came to my one of my workshops and, and she was very uh, fidgety, she would interrupt. And, and whenever an ambulance would pass by here in New York, there are plenty of them, she would get up and leave the, the, uh, the, uh, the workshop. So during the lunch hour, I sat with her and I ran this process with her. Uh, after she came back, from the um, from lunch, she was able to at least sit and listen to the rest of the workshop. So, mm -hmm. and, and and I did a follow up. I like, always like to do follow ups with all my clients because I don't feel like you just say, okay, this works and that's it. 
the, and sure enough, a few months later, she is still feeling great about it. Uh, so, so you were able to sit down with her at lunch. So she's seeing, she's being triggered by the ambulances because that reminds her of the person that has died. What exactly are you doing in a half an hour to get her to a point where she can then tolerate hearing ambulances? I had her go to the, the, the I had her be a, a projectionist in that theater. Okay. And, 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 and watch herself and, and the audience and go back to the very first time she remembered the bombing taking place. But I set it up in such a way that I created a very safe environment for her. So she didn't feel a threat from the memory because she was almost watching herself do it. It's almost like someone else is doing it for her. I had to go back to the very first time when she had that experience. And I had her run the process the first time she heard a bomb, which she saw herself reacting. She had I had her run the experience from the beginning to the end. Uh, and there, then are you asking her not only to think about it from a cognitive standpoint, but what's going on somatically in her body? Yes. I'll ask her okay. what is, how is she feeling in her body? Where is she feeling mostly the, the, the experience? And I want to make sure there's congruency between what she's saying and how her body is reacting. I and, like that you're combining these two. The oh, absolutely. The behavioral piece and the somatic piece. And, the body, and the, yeah. And the safety of having you be there mm -hmm. with her to do this. I have two so, uh, two websites. where One where I do my uh, workshops on the theater of the mind, www.nynlpinstitute.com and uh, www.nynlpinstitute.com. And the other website is www.luxeternus.com. L-U-X. A E T E R N U S dot com. That means eternal light in Latin. And uh, that's where I'm really going. I'm combining the somatic and the visual processes. So, through either one of these websites, they can reach us and buy the book. Uh, the book is currently on Amazon, uh, but they can buy it directly from our website as well. And the book is The Theater of the Mind. The Theater of the Mind, yes. It's almost like it goes back to the the quotation to Shakespeare about all being actors, we're all actors. So we're all actors in our mind. And that's so relevant because we begin to connect the dots how the film, music, psychology, they all in a way relate to how we engage with reality. And how we do so is, is very critical, it's very important. Well, and, thank you so much for being on our show today. I love the work well, you're doing and it, it's absolutely amazing. I know it's gonna help a lot of people. Sounds like it already has. Thank you very much um, for your uh, for your time, and I'll definitely be willing to get you any information you need to us. And uh, again, thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Daniel. I love the way that you are combining cognitive behavioral therapy with somatic, putting people in safe spaces, absolutely, and changing their perception of the event and the way that they felt about it, so that they're not re-traumatizing themselves and reliving this event over and over and over. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. And thanks everybody for watching and joining us today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts 
to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.